there are times where it becomes like this is way too personal and soul bearing and just you wonder if this was ever meant to be seen but of course it was Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Who Cares Anyway podcast. And we can call this part one in the uh, sub-series, the Friends of the Who Cares Anyway podcast. What do I mean by that? Well, in the course of interacting with people on social media and doing the uh, sort of promotional work that comes along with having a book out, I've had the opportunity to meet and we can put that in quotes, but to virtually meet a whole lot of really great, interesting people, some of whom have had their own things come out this year, whether those things would be a book or an album or something like that. And so that's kind of what I'm doing with this and the other episodes that will be in this, uh, again, very unofficial bonus series. And so my guest on this episode is Vincent Alberano. He has had a couple of different publications come out this year, one of them being a book, Aesthetic Deviations, which is about shot-on-video horror films uh, in America from the late 80s to early 90s, I believe 1986 to 1994 are the bookends on that, and that is on Head Press Books, the same publisher that published Who Cares Anyway, my own book. But in addition to Aesthetic Deviations, there is a zine that he put out that has also been getting a lot of attention called Pinhead Music, and it focuses on a cast of characters involving a music scene in Kaiser, West Virginia. The label is known as Red Nail Music, and I'll certainly link to that. But there was a recent article on Bandcamp, actually after I had interviewed him, but before this episode came out, that gets into that. They interviewed Vincent and some of the uh, musicians, artists from that West Virginia scene. And so given the fact that we had been conversing with one another and that both his zine and book cover, well, the same time period that I was into, and they both delve into very, well, analog forms, whether the uh, cassette underground that the Kaiser scene and Red Nail Music were involved in or representative of, and then the VHS shot on video aspect in Aesthetic Deviations. Well, given all that, I thought it would make sense to have him on as a guest. Now, one little hurdle here from my perspective as an interviewer is that I don't know much about film in the big scheme of things, let alone underground film, let alone underground horror films. So you'll hear me sort of reaching for some analogies from music, which I at least have a little more experience with, and you might even hear me use the word movie, which I know is a big cringe for uh, film aficionados. But there are some uh, surprising and interesting tie-ins to the San Francisco underground of the 80s and 90s. Not that everything has to be about San Francisco, but there are some connections that come up. I'll let you listen for those, and in the meantime, I'll get out of the way and let us get on with this interview with Vincent Alberana. The majority of the periods you covered in each of those, uh, you know, both the zine and, and then in this book, uh, kind of right before 
you were born. And so clearly there's no, there's no nostalgia element, but is this era in time a particular focus or interest of yours, or is that just kind of a coincidence that these two projects have covered roughly that same era? Yeah, it's interesting. Kind of just a coincidence, just in the case of like the shot on video movies, that's just when the earliest and the bulk of them were produced. So that's where my affection and attention goes. With the Kaiser thing, like I mentioned in the introduction, it kind of just, in addition to Craig's film inspiring, it spirals into that whole, you know, reading old forced exposures and zines like that and realizing a lot of the stuff I was listening to at that point was from that era. So it just seemed a pretty fertile time for these kind of things. And they've held my attention. When did you first, uh, I mean, just talking about this era in general, was that something that you were coming across in, in college or pre-college or? Yeah. So before that, before college, really through high school and most of that, it was, I guess, the fairly standard the punk rock upbringing. It ties into your own book, but like one of the first things that got me off that straight and narrow path was flipper oh no okay <laughs> yeah yeah that that was kind of where i was like oh there's weirder stuff that is interesting to me so then in college i kind of took the plunge through as they would have called it like pig fuck and post hardcore and all of that and it just is what kind of got my attention around age 20 or so Okay, so that that would have been okay. So a decade ago, so early yeah. early teens. Okay, and so at this point, um, I guess that means YouTube file sharing, that sort of thing. Yeah, the file sharing was definitely it. Like as I you know got into the real world or on my work study, I would buy like records of these things, but it was definitely downloads or blogs or YouTube, and it was all like you said, the internet and. It also kind of ties into your own work, but a site that even way back to high school, I was always reading or rereading was Mark Prendel's site and his reviews. And <laughs> okay. he obviously covered a lot of this stuff. So it was on my radar and it kind of just got to a point where I was like, all right, let's check out some new stuff. And that was a guide. Okay, because yeah, I'm trying to place it in terms of file sharing because you know, the the peak of that. I mean, I had I had my little period of uh, soul seek. Yeah, and I remember also remember when I got rid of it. W was it uh was was soul seek soul seek still going or are we on to a different era at this point? <laughs> Probably a different era. So soul seek was still going at that time. Where I was coming across a lot was like blog spots where they would just you know, do a little write-up of a band or an album, post like a media fire link. And that was exactly how I came across a ton of stuff. Okay, right, right. Yeah, that that's, yeah, that is another era. And then now if one were to come across those sites, they're going to all have dead links. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that idea that everything is somehow permanent on the internet is uh, turning out, turning out not to be true. So, so in terms of the, the order of the, um, like in terms of when you worked on these, I, I'm guessing you, you did the bulk of the work for this book before you did the, the Kaiser zine. So it's 
It's actually funny because the book was obviously my thesis and being a part-time student, full-time employee, I kind of arranged it for myself that I would have just a year where I was in no classes, just working on my thesis. So that was 2021 and, you know, five days a week writing for two hours for the thesis that became the book. And right around in there, I had gotten in touch with Bonk from Kaiser and the Red Nail label. And we were just trading emails. I made up some questions and it was like, I'm really busy with this thesis and schoolwork, but I want to get this story told. So it was kind of in my spare time while I was working on the thesis slash book and they were happening concurrently in their original forms. Okay. Did it, did it feel like when you were working on these two things, do you, did you see parallels between the, the different, as different as they are, I mean, horror versus underground music, parallels in, in any of the characters or, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Maybe I'm trying no. to link things together that aren't, that aren't really linked. It honestly came later in the moment. It was, I don't know, even though like I was writing about underground movies that got a commercial release with the shot on video stuff. And then the interest in the Kaiser thing started with Craig's underground film for me. But yeah, it was only later I realized like I was kind of zeroing in on just this kind of homegrown amateur underground art movement that took different forms. And again, the time period just happened to kind of coincide. One of the films uh, I talk about later in the book, Charles Pinion's uh, Twisted Issues. It's like a kind of surreal skateboarding punk rock splatter movie. But he was in Gainesville, Florida, and his whole idea for that was like, I'm moving to New York. I need to document like the bands and scenes that are going on here, put them in the movie, release a soundtrack. So even if the horror specifically doesn't tie into like the Kaiser and underground music, there are those instances where that kind of documentation and preservation were kind of intertwined. And it wasn't until later that I realized that there was more in common there. Right. And uh, talk about a small world. Uh, Charles Pinion, uh, Red Spirit Lake. So, yeah. so um, <laughs> Michael Belfort did the soundtrack, or at least part of it. I, I, I've never seen the movie, but um, you, Charles Pinion, when we were working on uh, on Michael's book, uh, Charles was one of the two or three people who read uh, the chapters because they had known each other going back to going back to the nineties, um, cool. and um, and and so I don't really, I guess. Charles must have moved to San Francisco or must have been living out there. And I think the animal Lee, you, you mentioned her and that's another, that kind of connects into something maybe adjacent to what I was looking at. I'm not sure if, I'm not actually sure if they were San Francisco or if it was Portland. Um, yeah, they were San Francisco. It was okay. after Red Spirit Lake because his third movie, We Await, was shot in the Mission District when he was living there. And I think he's still out there now. Okay. Yeah, I think he's down in Southern California now, from what I okay. understood. But uh, okay. Yeah, and so that that chapter, or like he he appears, or his work appears in in multiple chapters. But 
one of them is subtitled um or not subtitled but uh, and i'm trying to scroll up and find it something about the avant-garde the unexpected or the, yeah uh, yeah and that's the twisted issues chapter okay given that that's just one chapter this idea of shot on video is sort of a again i'm getting the term wrong because i can't find it but unexpected or not unintentional yeah, unexpected, but sort of a, unintentional unexpected. avant-garde yeah yeah is that something i mean how um how central is the avant-garde aspect to your um interpretation of this is that is that really more just like a slice of it or or was that really your it was that central to your your interest in in uh this medium yeah that's actually a big part of it i just went with twisted issues and uh alien beast by carl sakanic because those are the two I could pull out, show to anyone, or just point to, and it's obvious watching them that they have those experimental tendencies, but I could, you know, list a whole score of others that I could similarly break down, but coming with, you know, the grad school academic baggage side of things, one thing I wanted to do is kind of not correct this tendency in like writing about shot on video stuff that I see, but give a more concrete version because a lot of reviews and discussion talk about how things are surreal or avant-garde adjacent, but working with the materials I had to use, you know, I could line up with these theorists and films, do the comparisons and say like, here are some pretty concrete examples between them and illustrate it with those materials so it was just a small slice of where that could go i think but that was the idea behind that are there instances of people making uh exaggerated claims then for like the avant-garde qualities or tendencies of stuff that maybe doesn't merit it I'm trying to think of things that might be analogous in my experience, like certain underground metal. Yeah, some of it definitely is really innovative and forward thinking. And then other parts of it are are more, you know, they're 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 crude and they're they have their flawed aspects. But then sometimes you'll see people latch on to those and maybe make too much of a case for it as if as if to say, like, oh, this has a droning quality to it. Therefore, it's similar to Lamont Young or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's very comparable. Okay. That point kind of where, is it just ineptitude or is it this actual forward thinking kind of progressive approach to making the art itself? Because it's funny, you said droning like in the music, a lot of these shot and video movies just drone on with the most mundane scenes that nobody wants to watch for, you know, 10 minutes at a time. And it can like dislocate your perspective, but just because it's a weird, unconventional experience doesn't necessarily mean it's actually formally avant-garde. So I think at times too much can be made of that. Right, right. Okay. And then another thing I noticed was, uh, well, I didn't notice, I read, was early on in there, you mentioned that, you know, you're not taking the, you know, so bad that it's good angle. And uh, because I mean, you don't, you don't seem to rejoice in 
playing up the inept qualities. I mean, you'll you'll mention that those things are there, but it's not like you are. It's not like you're going out of your way to talk about how ridiculous things are. But at the same time, reading between the lines, it seems like a, a fair amount of it is kind of a, a little masochistic to watch. Uh, but wh where does that? How does that break down for you in terms of? Yeah, the enjoyment yeah. masochism. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a very pertinent point with this stuff. I made an outline early on as I was writing the thesis about like, all right, what are the theoretical critical approaches I want to take? What movies fit them? So I kind of for this book cherry picked like video violence, splatter farm, blood cult, boarding house, some of the titles like they're the most recognizable and known quantities. So it wasn't, there weren't really any instances of barrel scraping or things where I'm like, what am I getting into before I watch this? They were all known things to me and that I'd experienced, but I can't deny that, you know, even some of those well-known titles like uh, Sledgehammer, the first SOV film, directly released to video for the market it's really dull and prolonged and boring and it also sometimes in print falls prey to that you know droning surrealist write-up style that it's really just boring but later in the book the I think it's the third non-introductory chapter the one all about uh Todd Sheets the filmmaker okay. I watched, I think, seven or eight of his movies beyond what I had already seen in like a week span, which was, it's too much for some of that without any buffers or anything to break from. So there are still those times where I do try to make the best out of it. And some of the ones, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's Madhouse that he did, I think he made it for like $500 in two days. And that's like, editing music everything top to bottom put together and it shows there's that interest in wow he really pulled it off and people were buying it and it was in video stores but yeah it's rough but i don't want to harp on that and just you know this is still a work of whether considered or not art that you know effort time money were invested into so I don't want to, you know, waste the words to just run down the list of its flaws. Right, right. Because I, I gather there's a fair amount of this stuff that's just not known or it hasn't come back as far as being reissued or being made available. I, I don't know, like, uh, how, how discriminant has, have the sort of reissues been in terms of what's available Again, I'm trying to think of a music analogy. Sometimes things get reissued and, and you sort of wonder like, hmm, what's the market for this? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how big this the, the peak of this market gets anyway, but it, what is the reissue scene around shot on video? Yeah, that's actually pretty relevant. And the last chapter in the book, I kind of touch on that just because I couldn't not. And I wanted to wrap it up with where things stand in 2020s. So there are labels doing this more than in the past. Like 2007, a couple companies, Camp, uh, Massacre Video, and a couple others started releasing some of these titles out. Every once in a while, some would appear. But now there's this whole 
market through labels and like the partner labels for vinegar syndrome and visual vengeance is also going now where they are releasing these films some that may not have ever even been put onto dvd in the first place just an original tape release and pretty much disappeared from existence and i actually just contributed an essay liner notes for saturn's cores release of uh the tortured soul trilogy which is this series of like shot on video slasher metalhead horror films from a small studio in minneapolis and i had gotten in contact with mike johnson the filmmaker and had them but beyond that or beyond when they first came out they really hadn't been seen so there is this effort with these labels now getting the deeper cuts the more obscure titles and getting them out there and because people either have read about them and could never find them or just have no clue but want to check it out there is an audience for that now i don't know how many of these productions you would have watched in all but i'm guessing it has to be in the triple digits i yeah by this point definitely yeah, so because you mentioned the one time where you watched all those movies in a week, but was was that pretty much the peak of, of any of that sort of feeling of like this is this is hard to take in one reason for one reason or another? Yeah, that sense is definitely there, and like not so much on most of what I covered in the book because again, these were if not professional productions, they mostly saw release, they made it out into the world. But there are still films like Alien Beasts in the avant-garde chapter where there are times where it becomes like, this is way too personal and soul-bearing and just how raw it is that you wonder if this was ever meant to be seen, but of course it was. And then the other times were like uh, the chapter I did on the more transgressive works from the mid period of the shot on video cycle where it's like, Oh, there were just no boundaries in effect. So stuff like the Joe Christ films I discuss, it's, you know, the most unvarnished presentation of staged psychosis that you could experience. And it's also like people weren't meant to see this, even though the provocation of it was the entire point. But I get that sense overall less throughout this because I did, at the time I was writing it, think I have an academic audience, you know, not a fan audience. So I need to stick with works that I can illustrate well. And there's material about them to assist with that process. Okay. 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 I got you. And uh, another connection. Uh, I'm not to connect everything out back out to uh, <laughs> to San Francisco, but just given my own little, you know, I see something familiar. So you mentioned the uh, incredibly strange yeah, films yeah. book, and uh, you know, I there was incredibly strange music that came out at the same, uh, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit later. But um, what can you say about that? And and uh, you say a little bit about it in the uh, the intro, but but maybe um the the angle that that they would have taken back then and the the material they were looking at and the 
and maybe how that is similar or and or different to to how you're looking at these films yeah the that book was actually really instructive for me like it's become a canonical text and you know weird cult horror exploitation fandom and studies but what really impressed me when I first got a hold of it however long ago however long before writing this is that they kind of resolutely refuse like we're not here to laugh at these films we're not gonna point out you know all the mistakes they make on a technical level or all the goofs on screen itself because there's more to it and people have been just content to laugh at them for decades at this point so their approach there and the various writers was let's actually sit down and discuss these movies give them a space to work on their own terms and that idea was basically where my own approach came from Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about the um, the movie or the film that led to your interest in Kaiser, West Virginia, glue sniffing, uh, psychedelic glue sniffing hillbillies? Sniffing yeah. Hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us when and how you came across that, and then how that led into the um, interest in this music scene? Yeah, absolutely. So I was just on the internet looking, you know, for movies to probably download at that point in time. And it was just on a site. I saw a capsule review for this thing. I'm like, well, that's, that title catches your eye. You know, I tried to search it, see if it was anywhere. I couldn't find the movie, but Craig had a five-minute clip on YouTube. And he had a contact info. And I also found it on eBay and just, you know, sent away for it got it and watched it. And that was right at a point where I was still immersed in cult and horror stuff, but kind of realizing I had an affinity for more experimental films too. And it just was this 30 minute little project that kind of straddled both of those worlds. There was music I recognized, like Helios Creed for the most part of the soundtrack. And just all these cultural references that I had picked up, and it was all kind of contained in this. So shortly after that, I probably had watched it 10, 15 times. And I was like, I should talk to this guy because there's no internet presence. Nobody's talking about this. And it just broke out from there, really. What year would this have been? That would have been uh, about 2013 or so. Okay, so it's been uh, since then that they put all the stuff on Bandcamp for the uh, for Red Nail Music. There actually was stuff before that because it was in my research rounds when I first talked to Craig in that first interview in 2013 that I... There was something on the DVD in one of the bonus features. I think it was the Egg Tones, the band... I was like, okay. oh, let's look this up and let's see. It led me to that compilation, the uh, To Hell with Athens, Georgia. This is Kaiser, West Virginia. And I've never seen a copy of that tape. It's not uploaded anywhere. 
but that led me to oh there's this red nail music label and i found the band camp at that point or maybe it was even the actual website at that time and it started to come together where i saw names like mitch sanders who was credited on the film and a few other bits that kind of got my wheels spinning and made me realize there was a scene and a bigger story here okay yeah that you know when i was talking to um eric cremo coil uh over on fsu yeah. you know, he, he mentioned mentioned that as well and i forget what how how that came up when we were talking but uh, what may have prompted it on his end was i, I was talking about how how I was able to learn a lot about chronology of uh, things that happen by focusing on this one place. You know, I'd say before going into all the research on the San Francisco stuff, I had, would have these vague time, this vague sense of how things unfolded across the UK and LA and San Francisco, but it was pretty hazy and I wouldn't have necessarily known, you know, 1980 versus 81 or 82, but, uh, but sort of like focusing in on one place you can actually see in, in here how things unfolded over time. But, um, it, and I guess I was mentioning that as a sort of a contrast to the sort of normal way that we're, we're fed sounds and images these days, which is just sounds and images coming from all angles uh, through different feeds and through different uh, recommendation engines and whatnot. But, I, and so I think he mentioned it as then an example of, well, you know, even an even smaller microcosm, but at the same time, you know, a place like Kaiser, West Virginia is, is going to be a lot more isolated and it's going to be maybe a little more scattershot in terms of what influences are, are, are coming into them. But because I know they were picking up on certain things, you mentioned Helios Creed and they mentioned being into, into Chrome and Hawkwind. And, and it's kind of like, well, that, those are, those are influences that were out there, but on the other hand, they, they were not you know as prominent as you know black flag or, or yeah yeah so it's kind of like their pick but i don't know i don't know like what sense do you get when you listen back to that music do, does it feel like an, an aberration or an anomaly or does it feel like you're able to pick up on any sort of tenor of the times through that i don't know it's not really a fair question but no <laughs> no comes I, to mind there? It's definitely something that i've thought about and i really do think it's an aberration even going back to craig's the self-released DVD that I got, you know, there's the Helio soundtrack on like photo galleries and stuff. He is, you know, Faust songs and all of these things that I was also discovering at the time. And then I listened to some of the music, like bands like Color Zone and Xanax and stuff, where it's like this really overdriven, like psychedelic punk rock. It's like, that really wasn't common in my understanding of, you know, mid eighties American underground music. And yeah, even to talk to bunk, like the early industrial stuff, they were getting, you know, Hawkwind and Krautrock and all of this left field music that you wouldn't think a tiny town in West Virginia would have access to. Of course, they were, you know, near D.C. They had college radio they were able to get. So they were picking up on those influences. But like you said, that's not Black Flag. And there was almost no touches of hardcore in any of the bands, like the closest being Purple Plush. And even that was kind of a 
over the top take on it in some ways. So it really did stand out to me as like, these guys weren't really working with the normal set of influences in addition to just being, you know, isolated in this weird spot where there wasn't much for culture otherwise. Yeah. I guess what I, what I picked up on with San Francisco is that, you know, they, they would have been not as, not as, uh, not as connected as anyone is today, but they would be hearing stuff, whether it's coming from, you know, record records that were making their way over, but you, you can kind of tell it's like, Oh, it's spring of 1980. And this, uh, this, uh, this joy division album is influencing people or this, this other thing. And, and, maybe they want to get this drum sound and then you hear it's 1980 you know if you hear 1985 and you can kind of tell because everybody's getting this big reverby drum sound but then yeah. the stuff i listened to from from west from the the kaiser uh scene that's been up there it's like well you can you hear some drum machines you hear some gnarly uh guitars you gather that they were probably using four tracks or maybe even boom boxes but beyond that yeah it's kind of like this is somewhere in the 80s but you would have trouble yeah, lining it up with a particular thing that's going on. Cause it's like, yeah, they had, they had maybe just enough contact to get certain things coming in, but they're on the other hand, still pretty isolated. Yeah. And one thing that always stood out to me and I've wondered about is how much of that is because it was either four track recordings, a huge part of the discography is live recordings and then there's stuff like Murray the Cop and Bunk's solo projects where it is drum machines and keyboards because it's a one-person band. But how much of that sound is especially present because we only have the live documents in a lot of cases. Have you come across anything that, that you can compare to Kaiser as, as far as uh, whether it's a geographical or something more distributed but anything else that that you've come across that that feels like, wow, this hasn't been written about, this hasn't been covered, or does that still stand out to you as the sort of uh, pinnacle of that sort of kind of like, wow, how does this exist? Yeah, it, it does stand out to me. It reminds me of something Bunk said in our interview in the zine where he's like, there had to be other scenes doing exactly this like there's no way there couldn't have been and they could have been even smaller than us but we don't know or they weren't documented or the right person hasn't hit on them yet even some of the other things i'm trying to work through like the horror zines produced in columbus ohio here in the 80s and how that tied into our local music scene even those are better known, have been written about. There are interviews with people about them. So I've still yet to really catch something where it all converged as perfectly as the Kaiser scene for this wealth of material to discuss. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, it could have been, <laughs> I'm not saying it is at <laughs> all, but but it's almost like it could have been something that's, like out of fiction i mean it could it, one could imagine doing a prank or not a prank yeah. but a high concept sort of thing where you you pretend that there were all these bands and then i you... mean there's even like the volume of one of the killed by death compilations that did that where it was just a modern band that passed off like look at these crazy recordings from bands in 1981 it's like the, it, there is that sense like this is too good to be true do you have any of the originals of the uh, red nail nothing yeah 
it's funny because again they weren't you know they weren't mail order sales going on it was mostly trades that funk would do with other people a couple of things you know got picked up by small labels i saw that uh the solo self-titled tape sold on discogs at one point after this came out and it's like i missed out on it and also like did whoever buy that only buy it because they read about it and what i did oh yeah so like those there are no originals in my orbit although um the guy that does the concentric circles label messaged me on instagram and he sent a picture and he had a hand dubbed murray the cop legoland tape and just had it in a box with some of the other cassettes that he's accumulated and tracked down and, you know, I messaged Bonk and he's like, yeah, that's my handwriting. This is like a sampler I made to people to see if they would want to trade. So like, they are out there. reveal or talk about or uh, what what you'd like to share but um is this are you continuing in this particular vein or i am almost like the flip side of this coin so i have a bunch of stuff in the works now but those are longer term book length projects most likely the thing i'm working on primarily at this point as a sole creative endeavor is a another zine and I mentioned it in aesthetic deviations, but there was a magazine in the nineties called independent video, which was just really off the radar nowadays, but it must've been notable at the time. But the whole thing was just giving a spotlight to regardless of genre, like independent, filmmakers shooting on be it super 8 16 millimeter vhs they would submit their own write-ups and pieces and you know it was almost like a promotional thing that's evolved you know, 30 years hindsight to this kind of amazing archival document of this homegrown filmmaking scene and the trouble is nobody's seen 60% of the movies talked about in there since they were written about then for all intents and purposes, these are lost films in a lot of cases. So for about a year now, I've been trying to track down whatever filmmakers I can, whatever movies I can doing whatever it takes to find and write about these movies and have essays to contextualize the role this magazine played and this network that was established. So it's been an ongoing thing, a lot of unanswered emails, a lot of movies I don't think I'll ever see. And then like these rare surprises were something that was advertised in, you know, independent video in 1994, I come across. So whereas aesthetic deviations is kind of using the critical theories to spotlight and discuss some of the better known examples. 
now I am kind of doing the barrel scraping that we talked about, but as like an archival type of project more so. But again, this this isn't so. This is getting into other genres. Yeah, it's mostly horror, but I have a couple of things I found. There's like a like an action comedy shot on VHS. There are a couple of comedy shorts I found. Some dramas. So the magazine would cover anything and everything that was submitted. Okay, and uh, so but Super Super Eight counts. As, yeah. As a, yeah. Okay. So even in aesthetic yeah. deviations where the focus was solely video, I use Super 8 works and directors who had worked in that format as well as kind of like a counterpoint because they were, there was a Super 8, if not movement, there were a lot of films coming out on that in the 80s as well, or at least being made. So they were kind of, two sides of the same thing even if they're not what i'm focusing and discussing in depth there okay okay i, I was i was just curious because uh i saw the name danny plotnik somewhere yeah. i can't remember where because uh this is another thing that i can somewhat relate to because uh, uh i'm not fascinating about the, the icky boyfriend yes uh, yes okay <laughs> how would that how would that fit into uh would that fit in at all or is that is that higher profile than what you're looking at here that's higher profile it's funny because i was talking about how independent videos unknown and can't have been you know that well regarded at the time but there are still articles about and submitted by danny plotnik and craig baldwin and a couple of issues so it does all come back to san francisco <laughs> but yeah because I'm not fascinating isn't discussed in the piece because it came before that. I'm not going to discuss it because uh, Tribulation 99 is pretty still, you know, off the radar, but pretty well known. I'm not going to do that because there's been plenty written about that before. So I'm not salvaging anything by doing so. Thank you again to Vincent Alvarano. For more on both aesthetic deviations and Who Cares Anyway, you can go to headpress.com. And for links, show notes, music credits, and the rest, go to whocaresanyway.online.